I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Cinema Podcast, where we will be discussing Matteo Garona's fairy tale anthology, Tale of Tales. I'm Sam Howlett, and I'm joined by Helen Seymour. Hello. And Ursi Kalitsi. Hello. Hello. Good to have you both on the show. Um, we also have not one, but two interviews today. One with Matteo Garona's, and it's the film star, Toby Jones. Uh, we'll be showing those in a minute, but first, just to introduce the film. So, Tale of Tales... Were you showing three quite tenuously connected stories, would you say? Their their links are quite broad rather than clear. Linked through theme. Through theme, it's a good point, yeah, rather than like pulp fiction, it's not like the characters overlap so, as much as they would yeah, in that. Yeah. Um so you've got the flea, the queen, and the two old women. Uh and it's based loosely based on the sh- stories by Guillaume Battista Basile. Yeah, are you going to read the title? That's the author. Are and you going to read the title? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's the, the, I pen, it. <laughs> the Pentamaron, I think. Oh, yes. there's another one that That's, has the, the, the words. Yeah, yeah. The words. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I read it early and I was like, I wonder who's saying that on the show. <laughs> no, it's, uh, you can Google it. One of its listeners. Italian translations is uh, slightly racy. Yeah. Yeah. For for us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, let's get straight in. So Jake met up with uh, Matteo Garenas a few weeks ago in London, and here is his interview. Enjoy. So we are thrilled to be joined on the Curzon Cinemas podcast with Matteo Garone, director of Tale of Tales. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm fine. I'm Excellent. Fine. Um, so Tale of Tales is adapted from uh, Giambattista's Basile's Pentameron, a collection of stories not well known in England. Could you give us some background on that collection? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's the first book of fairy tales ever written in Europe in the 17th century. So this book is a masterpiece of the Italian literature and inspired all the famous writers of fairy tales like Brother Grimm, Anderson, Perrault. And uh, unfortunately, it's not well known also in Italy. <laughs> so it was a great opportunity for me to, I mean, to, to find, to take this material and to try to make an adaptation for a movie because it was material that uh, was uh, uh, virgin, I mean, uh, new also for the audience. 
there were some tales very famous for because for instance Basile is the first who write about Cinderella but I choose some story that were um, quite unknown and, and we decide because there were 50 so <laughs> it was difficult to choose then we decide to three from the point of view of a woman in three different age okay and because um, fairy tales are so much associated with childhood, was, were these stories that you grew up with yourself, or were you were you finding them in later life as well? Well, I first of all, yeah, when we when we we start to to write the script, we immediately knew because uh, the book is quite dark, you know. It's, it's sometimes it's like horror in a way. So it's 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 for. Uh, not for kids, but for an audience that is from 13, 14 years old and okay. older. Uh, because at that time, in the 17th century, Basile wrote this story for entertainment, an audience, but not there, there was not literature for kids at that time. So this story have a base medieval, but so that's why it's so also dark. But they were written not for kids, you know, but for a transversal audience. And and that time, Basile was uh, in the period of Shakespeare, so there was uh, there was some connection on on the on the atmosphere of his tales. Uh, Italo Calvino used to say that the the tales of Basile remind a sort of uh, Shakespeare Napolitan, you know, so uh, there was something in common in a way. So it's very, sometimes very dark. That makes a lot of sense because at about 13, 14, that's where in England we would start studying Shakespeare. You don't really read it up until yeah, that yeah, age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's exactly. got that similar feel yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. And so we touched on it earlier. The stories that you chose, you mentioned that it was. Uh, tackling female characters at different stages in life. Yeah. Could you expand on why you selected those for that reason? Yeah, well, honestly, it was not easy to make that decision because there were also other stories that were really beautiful. Sometimes, you know, the, you make decision because, uh, for instance, uh, there was another story that was bigger than this, so it would take just one hour, one hour and twenty, just one so we decided these three because they were more organic. And also the theme of this story were very modern because uh, Basile talks about, uh, you know, lifting and uh, aesthetic surgery in the 17th century. It's amazing, you know, if you think. So about the beauty, about how it's, uh, it's important for an old woman to try to be young and beauty, you know, and uh, oh, the desire of uh, of another woman to to be mother, and the problem that she has because she can have a, a baby, or the conflict between a father and a daughter. So the the theme are very mm, contemporary in a way because. Tales talk about human archetype, so that's why are always modern. When I when I made this movie, 
it was 17th century, but for me it was a movie shoot of people uh, of now. <laughs> so my approach was like if I was making a contemporary movie. Mm. And there's that the theme that links all the all of the stories together with that is that selfishness of desire yeah. and the repercussions of that. It didn't need to be a flea or a sea monster. It could be anything really. Yeah, it's absolutely. just a vehicle to express that. Absolutely, absolutely agree. Um, and was the plan always to slightly link the stories together, that they, they would all intertwine? Did you always come up with it with that? Yeah, approach? yeah. The, we we want to have um, a structure that gives the idea that are three different plays, but in a in a, in, a, in in the same world. In a way, it's a, this world of fantasy in a way uh, um, the structure is similar to my other movie to Gomorrah also if they look uh, a little bit different on the on the approach but uh, also in Gomorrah there were many different stories and then we choose three or four or five and then we mixed to together uh, so since the beginning we we decide on when we were working on the script to mix in this way the story. And you mentioned the world in which everything takes place. It's got a um, very distinct aesthetic. You've got that 17th century um, time frame of when it was written. But what about the the look of the whole world? What were the inspirations behind that? Well, we 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 spent like eight months <laughs> uh, to to travel from the south of Italy to the north to look for location. And uh, and then we decide at the end to choose for the um, some reason of the south, some Sicily, Puglia, and then also in Lazio, close to Rome, and Tuscany. And uh, we choose a location that we we thought could be the best for tell about because for me location it became a a, a new character in the story. It, it helped to understand the conflict of the character. So, uh, for instance, in the story of the flea, it's important that the castle is isolated, so the daughter can feel the loneliness, no, to be there. And, and uh, it was important on the story of uh, the, the two old sisters and Cassel that uh, the castle has to be vertical, you know, so that they are below and he's on the top, you know. And uh, mm. so every story gives an idea of the of the landscape that you have to find, you know. To and these are all real places. These are real castles that you found. Yeah, well. yeah. We 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 look for a real castle, real real landscape, but at the same time, also sometimes this place has to give uh, the idea that is also something like built in the studio in a way. So like also theater, the, a theater aspect of uh, this uh, this. Uh, we wanted to to give to make a sort of homage to the beginning of the cinema, like Melies' movie. So if you think to the, to the scene when the sea monster, there is a fight between the king and the sea monster under the water, mm. it's like a Melies' movie. Yeah. So you, you can feel that it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's an approach also with the special effect, very materic, you know, very re realistic in a way. Yeah. We don't use the digital too much. We don't and the, the flea, that was puppetry yeah, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have this approach, like art craft approach, you know. Um, there are quite a few changes that you make to the original text, would you say? Something, something, because, you know, when you read, 
is uh, something it, it works when you read but it, if you put in image in adaptation for s cinema maybe can be can looks unbelievable you know so if you so we take out something we change but we didn't we didn't uh, betray the soul nice sorry one element that i noticed was in the story of the flea the princess kind of rather than ending up as a victim she almost becomes a hero at the end as well and she saves herself yes which I thought was yes really yeah that in that story we wanted to to work also on the humanity also of the ogre in a way because he 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 won the the princess so he has he's also is right you know and uh, so i like when uh, when there is not good and bad but human being that fight for survive you know and that's my approach my approach always in all my movie is always very human i try always to to create a relationship with the character to love the character and always to be beside them to don't judge from the top you know but be beside them and to live emotionally they their journey and their conflict you know and when you're when you're editing the film, because you've got three stories, it could be quite tempting to cut between them very quickly so the audience remembers what's going on in all the stories. Yeah. But you give each one a bit more time to breathe. And um, how did you approach when to cut between each segment? Well, when we when we wrote the script, we already start to create this this cut, you know. Then. Uh, we didn't we didn't change um, a lot on the editing because for me this is the first movie m that was uh, more structured compared to the other mm. first of all because there were a lot of special effects so you you need to organize everything before i used to work with more improvisation in my other movie and and also because this was my my first movie in English so it was uh, probably also more and I work with stars big stars so I used to work in sequence in my other movie mm. sequence from the beginning to the end so it's easier also to change because you follow a journey of the character when you when you work with big stars uh, you can't uh, you know shoot in sequence because they have uh, other you know they are busy they can stay and stay four days in the hotel waiting for them also because it's very expensive otherwise <laughs> to keep them in four days in the hotel. so uh, it was a movie more structured compared to my my other but it was a new experience so after this movie i feel like uh, i can do everything you know <laughs> And it's, well, it's clearly a very ambitious film. Do you think that there was a certain HBO fantasy TV series that helped get the idea off the ground? Oh, you mean if I get some idea from uh, from some uh, TV um, series? Or yeah, from uh, from Game of Thrones being so yeah. popular now. Do you think that helped getting the project off the ground? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. But uh, I, I like it. I like it very much. But I think that is something different, honestly. Uh, it's something different, but I like it very much, especially the first series, the first part. I like it very much. 
but uh, yeah, and I know I don't. I probably this tale of tales is not a fantasy, but it's a movie about fairy tales because it's it's also the the background where the these kings lives is real. Mm. Is not something completely you know invented. So that's probably different from the fantasy movie you know it's yeah. more uh, but uh, yeah the, 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 for me my, my first reference because I was a painter probably that's why my first reference is Goya the drawings of Goya Los Caprichos mm. in that drawings I found all the soul of the of the tales of Basile also if Goya arrived two centuries after Basile but there is this uh, dimension of um, grotesque this uh, the, the 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 character a human a comic a tragedy tragic and uh, the I, I found visually the atmosphere of the tales of basile in this drawing so i was uh, in my office there were always <laughs> everywhere these drawings then when i start to to shoot uh, i try to to forget everything to to find my personal uh, journey my personal way to 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 make this movie excellent Matteo Grona director of Tale of Tales thanks a lot for joining us today thanks nice to talk to you okay so that was uh, the film's director Matteo Grona's there so I don't know how you want to do this so let's introduce the three stories yeah we start with so uh do do that so start with the queen so yeah the queen uh the original story is called the enchanted doe however it's not really uh, included in the story, but it's uh, a king and a queen yep. who really want an heir, but she is unable to conceive. And then uh, an old soothsayer comes to the palace and says that if they hunt down uh, a sea monster and take out its heart mm-hmm. and then subsequently cook it, uh, a virgin cooks it specifically. Yeah. Uh, then the queen will give birth in 24 hours, which is something that you do see. And as a side effect, the virgin that cooks it also gives birth as well to basically identical twins. Okay. Uh, And the the friendship and love that the twins have for each other, even though I'm not aware, I don't think that it's made clear if they know their link or not, uh, makes the queen very jealous. Okay. And their friendship is kind of interrupted by her. Yeah, I think this is kind of the the main story in a way because it starts the film and I, everything sort of almost stems off from this one. And this is the this, the poster is obviously of Selma Hayek who plays the queen uh, about to eat the heart, and that's quite a. I think it should become a quite an iconic image. Absolutely, it's quite a striking. There's this big uh, blood red heart with completely white background. And Sam Hack in the middle about to eat it with it smeared around her mouth. Did you hear her? Uh, she was on Graham Norton's show talking about it. Oh, uh, okay. And she was eating. Well, she was eating it. She was saying, but guys, like, what's in it? Like, what am I eating right now? <laughs> and they just kept saying, it's nothing you're allergic to. Just keep eating. <laughs> <laughs> and she, like, apparently they had made like ventricles yeah. out of spaghetti. And... Nice. That sounds great. Mm. Yeah, but I think other things. It was disgusting, apparently. Oh, right. <laughs> Uh, so the next story, I guess, would be The Flea. Uh, this is the one with Toby Jones. I love The Flea. The Flea's great, yeah. <laughs> and it's about a, a king in the... Uh, king of High Hills, it's called. Um, yeah. 
he's fascinated by a flea which he feeds and it grows to a bizarre size the size like of a, a donkey yeah. Size, yeah um and then donkey. yeah it's like the size of a donkey and then I don't know, that's a random animal to think oh, of i like it <laughs> and then there's also this thing of that whoever can guess the hide of the flea gets to marry his daughter and the story stems from there and then the final story is the two old women which is originally called the woman who skinned herself or the flayed okay. woman um this was the craziest story <laughs> this, this was my favorite by it's far. my favorite as well actually yeah. Oh, I'm... You're I'm flea, flea. Team Flea. Team Flea. <laughs> team Flea. So well, I think what I love about The Two Old Women is what, what I love about the film overall is that it really feels like an adult fairy tale. And I think throughout the whole film, without spoiling it too much, you're dealing with themes of sex, rape, murder. Quite, so it's like complex themes and mature content. I mean, mm. were you shocked by seeing these themes dealt with in a fairy tale landscape? I wasn't su- I wasn't surprised because I always deemed that fairy tales should always be they were always meant to be gory because yeah. they all they all their end goal is to instill a message okay. and um morals there's a moral to the story even though Basil's original kind of stories they were never meant to be for kids mm. uh they, because the genre hadn't been invented at that point so these were meant to be for the courts because they used to do kind of uh kind of discuss fairy tales amongst each other and the the fact that it was gory the fact that it dealt with envy desire yeah. spoke a lot more of the human condition than what you would have in fairy tales made from disney for example sure. which are which are neutered i mm. would say in a way and this is i was very happy that um Garone kind of took that on because he is he is great at doing that. He is great at dark fairy tales like his previous film was Gomorrah and he describes that as a as a kind of dark fairy tale about the human condition and I was absolutely kind of very happy to see that he was very real like there was hyper realism mm. and gore and blood and everything. It was great. Helen? Agreed. Excellent. <laughs> great. Yeah, it was nice to see that it, this kind of world was dealing with real themes. I mean well, Jake, in the interview, Jake mentions Game of Thrones and like the fact that fantasy is really popular at the moment. I actually saw this being less fantasy and more surreal. Mm, Things more really because surreal. the th- well, the the fancy elements like the giant flea and there's also there's a sea monster and, and the ogre. The ogre. There's elements of magic. They're all unquestioned. The characters like everything's accepted. It's not like oh my god, this is crazy. And it's not like Game of Thrones is very much this like creates a world with rules. This doesn't really have its own rules or no. it isn't about creating a universe. It's just like like all fairy tales, everything sort of exists in this one story. And it's not about questioning the magic, it's just ex- accepting it and thinking about what that means for the characters, which was dealt with really well, I thought. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I also want to talk about uh, the look of the film. It's kind of a really nice combination, I thought, of sort of you've got gothic th- fairy tale elements, but also like Mediterranean architecture. Like it looked like it was in like Spain or Italy but also had this medieval feel. I mean, do you agree that it sort of balanced those two kind of aesthetics well, or? Mm. Uh, most of them, the general visuals mm. of the film itself, I think were very much like a painting. Yeah. Because you have the contrasting colors. Red plays a massive yes. part in this film. And so does white as well, because the twins that the queen has are yeah. albino. And 
they look like their biological father, which is the sea, the sea monster, monster. Yeah. in a way. And then you have so you have the colors of the, uh, that contrast between each other. So when the old woman becomes young again, mm. uh, is enchanted by the old the the other old woman. It's plenty of old women, <laughs> uh, and her hair is red. Yeah. Um, the bed, the bed sheet, yeah, exactly. That she's wrapped in contrast with the green mm -hmm. that is very vivid, and it all looks it all looks like a painting. It all looks like something that could have been done in Neapolitan era. And um, Garone was also influenced by Goya as well. So yeah. the crones that you see are very much like a satirical a satirical mm -hmm. drawing, very heightened kind of makeup, and um, the king as well. Played by Vincent Cassel, yeah, I thought was very good because he looks haggard. He, I mean, you wouldn't think that he's a magnificent-looking king who mm. could sway any woman off her feet. Mm -hmm. He, he is. There's uh, flaws in everyone. Yeah. Same as Salma Hayek as well, because sometimes she contorts her face in a way that kind of is like, yeah, you would ordinarily be a very wonderful, beautiful-looking woman. But sometimes what you do and how your face reacts to things makes you feel very kind of yeah une um, well, the, uneasy. The, the scene of her eating the heart as well, it, she eats it very messily, like the blood gets all over her face, it's, it's really unflattering. And I thought that was great to see, like someone not just using their looks as mm -hmm. perhaps another Hollywood film might have wanted her to do. Yeah. Um, so we've mentioned a couple of times about the flea and the sea monster, uh, which are done with pretty much entirely practically mm. uh, which you don't see very often uh, which was r really great and I thought looked so much better than they would have if they were CGI yeah there's also something Guillermo del Toro-y about the creatures in this film I thought and not the look in general that kind of real realism combined with fairy tale and fantasy yeah uh, yeah Guillermo del Toro there. actually now that you mention it is a very kind of is a great supporter of fairy tales having this gory element yes. to them. If you look at something like Pan's Labyrinth, Devil's which Backbone, is a fairy yeah. tale, it's also a horror film yeah. because there needs to be... It's violent desires are only achieved through violence, yeah. which mm -hmm. is a great line from the film. I absolutely love it. And I think it's very... You need that in a fairy tale. You yeah. can't just... It can't be happy endings all over the place, you know? Excellent. Um, before we uh, have the interview with Toby Jones, just a second, I just want to ask about how you think the film balanced its three stories because anthology films for me sometimes you get the thing of you always prefer one story to the other and sometimes you think I'd rather just see this story as its own film how do you think the film dealt with that angle of having three stories in one? Uh, in this one I didn't really um I do do that thing as well of being like yeah. oh, I'll go back to the other one that one's yeah. good but I didn't do that in this one I totally yeah. got sucked into the world and once I was in it mm. uh, it took a while because I because it was so strange um you know to kind of find your yeah. find comfort in it but once I was in it I was just so all of them I love them all like all yeah. the stories mm. I was just so happy to watch it yeah absolutely agree it's yeah. kind of like a uh, Simpsons Treehouse of Horror in yeah, way. <laughs> in many ways, but I think it also—it's the whole thing of pop that on the poster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the the original the original book has like fifty fairy tales, and I think they chose uh, they ch they chose the ones that bookend one of the okay. one of the last chapters mm -hmm. of the entire book uh, of the f of the first day. There's there's a whole backstory to the entire okay. tale of tales thing, but uh, having it 
triptych, basically. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Having a triptych of any film, I think, is great because also when you're dealing with that kind of subject of humans and desire and envy, number three is always a very significant mm. number. So if they hadn't done any more or they had tried to kind of bring in other elements of the rest of the fairy tales of the I book, I think it would have cluttered yeah. so much. Collapsed yeah. on itself. Yeah. It would be too heavy for someone to watch that many things unfolding at once. And it's not like... And it's a difficult world to comprehend. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And it's not like you see one story, then another, then another. They're overlapping, like mm. you see a bit of one, a bit of the next one, a bit of the third one, a bit of that. They cut back and forth. And I thought that was the edit editing was really well done. Mm. Yeah. You had just the amount of time in each one, and sometimes you had like one, two, three, two, three, one, three, two, that kind of thing. Like a, like a musical composition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, you like, alto, and then you go back down again, yeah. and it's really good, yeah. Yeah, really well balanced. Um, yeah, really, really fun as well. Thing. Can we talk about how fun you this can, film is? You yeah. can tell it's Monty Python sometimes in it. You yeah, can tell right. that the humor yeah. is yeah. just there and it's amazing. It's so funny. And this, the stories themselves, I was very happy that he transposed their humor mm. to the film because there were times where I was like, I can't believe I'm laughing at this. This is a horror <laughs> film where I'm having so much fun. <laughs> it's quite a jet black humor at times as well, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Toby Jones, one of our country's greatest actors at the moment. I love him. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, he plays the King of High Heels in the film. He, uh, his character takes place in the story of The Flea. And, uh, yeah, Jake Cunningham, our intrepid producer, went to interview him. So here that interview is. Enjoy. So we're delighted to be joined on the Curzon Film Podcast with Toby Jones of Tale of Tales. So, Toby, in the film, uh, you play a king who raises a flea to the size of a donkey, skins it, and then sells his daughter to an ogre. An easy one to get into character for? <laughs> Careful of the spoiler alerts on that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, a very easy one to get into because I'm a father of two daughters. I don't have any relationship with fleas, but I have a relationship with, um, I suppose, my own failings as a father in terms of being negligent in terms of time and being distracted, easily distracted. And I think in a way the flea represents that in the film on some level. So uh, I don't, well, I don't have any direct relationship with fleas on whatever scale. Uh, I do have a relationship with um, what flea represents. Okay. And did you read the original story from um, Pentamerong before you tackled it? I didn't. I. I 
there, there wasn't where I was. I was filming something in um, Canada at the time, and there was no access to that to either the internet uh, or the book. So I was depending on Matteo's screenplay. That was my main source, my only source material. So uh, I wasn't able to look at the original script. But in a way, that didn't bother me too much because the way Matteo talked about the story and what he'd done with the story, it seemed very clear. I, I mean, the story itself, although strange and fantastical and macabre, is very straightforward. It's you know, it's unidirectionally the, these things happen one after another. It's just that what happens is so strange. And can you tell us how the well the the flea scenes were actually shot and any challenges that they brought about for you? Because I imagine that's not a <laughs> normal situation to be in as an actor no I mean obviously the flea uh, goes on this journey uh, itself uh, the flea grows uh, and grows up uh, the first flea y you don't see is the tiny flea that we all know you know from uh, fleas that we've encountered in the world which is practically invisible and that uh, we we shot that with, without any, so I, it was me basically acting with an invisible flea. Uh, and although that was a challenge, it, I, I realised, you know, there I was in Italy shooting this scene, which is actually a very classic uh, Lazzi from Commedia dell'arte, which is when Harlequino uh, fights a fly, is, is bothered by a fly uh, with his sword. And that, in the theatre, triggers him to do acrobatics and in the traditional um, Commedia dell'arte you would see that and here in a way it's a kind of reference to that because you have a king who's not fighting with the uh, flea but sort of juggling with it and uh, that was kind of nice that uh, to, to have a, 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 a sort of reference point from the Italian theatre which I, which I had studied a bit then as the flea grows uh, they had different kinds of puppet and different kinds of um, puppeteers operating both on diff the different scales and then within the flea itself as the flea becomes sort of uh, huge. Uh, and that wasn't that was uh, fantastic because normally one's used to working with tennis balls and green screen, and to have actual maquettes there to work with was was really useful. Yeah, uh, kind of. The early uh, stages of the flea kind of reminded me of the kind of vaudeville flea circus, and you happen to be part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and it's it's comic, and it sort of sets up a comic, childlike thing in the king. The story is all about who is the child, where is childhood, uh, what you what one does with childhood in a way, and how childhood is about play and you, and then there comes a time for things to become serious and obviously my story is intertwined with my daughter and her rite of passage with the ogre yeah because um the the king has, has a sense of child childishness and innocence at the start of his of his trajectory and that drastically changes throughout and do you think that's part of the do recognizing his obsession yes i think that often you you know the foibles of a king uh, in a fairy tale there's there's a side of a king that can be very very dangerous if a king doesn't grow if a king doesn't mature 
they can become tyrannical and whimsical and erratic if they don't, you know, if, if a king is not fully mature, is not wise. And here you have a king who doesn't grow up for whatever reason. We don't know why that is. Uh, whereas his daughter does grow up, and in a way you see this reversal in the final shot of the film, of the story, where she has become queen and he has become almost like her child. And there's lots of resonance in that about how, as as a parent, you become, you will in time, in time become your child's child. Mm. And do you think interpreting the um, mentality of the king like that allowed you to penetrate it more easily rather than thinking about it as a man who's growing a flea. Yes, I think so. Uh, um, I, I took the, 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 the story to be about parenting. Uh, that, 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 that's what it's about, about um, someone being distracted uh, and also nostalgic in a way. That, you know, Most parents, I've got kids and it's a totally human foible failing to live in the child's past because you know that already and all your fears for the child's future and you love your children and the future is unknown so you, there's there's a strong tendency to to try and fix them in time in a, in a, when they want to grow and the child is all about the future and you're all about trying to secure them which means fixing them in time and I know those feelings as a parent and it, they felt very familiar to me so it's strange and as exotic as this tale seems, it feels very familiar to me. The the themes in it, uh, it doesn't feel so bizarre as to be like a surreal tale. It feels more, 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 uh, more domestic in a way. And I think that can be seen in the story of the Queen as well. Yeah. That um, relationship of uh, desire for uh, a child's future actually not perhaps being the greatest thing for them. Exactly. And and uh, you see with the two old women, their desire for youth, you know, their, their, their desire to re- rejuvenate themselves and the disastrous consequences of that and d- d- sending them into a kind of madness. I, Superficially, the film seems to be, you know, people constantly saying, oh, it's bonkers, it's crazy, this strangeness is so, oh, it's grotesque. And clearly that is true, that there are elements in it that we, we know are sort of these weird sort of extremes that we associate with the fantastic. But deep down, not very deep down, there is uh, very they're very domestic, instructive stories, but it's just that they tell their messages very obliquely, uh, and as in all fantastic literature, they seem disproportionate. The, the 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 darkness and light seem disproportionate. And speaking of the um, the other stories that uh, yeah. come with the film, other than one scene, you don't interact with the other stories yourself. How much did you know about the Queen and the two old women whilst you were working on the film or before going into it? Obviously, I'd read the whole script. Um, when I first talked to Matteo, uh, I realised, oh, I thought we might all be shooting them concurrently. But he was going to shoot them almost as separate films with these two interlinking scenes. One is a funeral and one is the climactic scene where we see 
the, the surviving characters together, united by uh, the spectacle of a tightrope walk, which is interesting. Uh, but his ambition, and he's an extraordinarily ambitious director, was to to shoot these films all over Italy. Uh, so we didn't really meet each other. So I worked with Bibi and Guillaume in uh, in Puglia, and other f- other bits of the film were shot in Sicily and Tuscany. And you see parts of Italy you you can't believe still exist. You know. Did you um, feel like you were getting taken back to the Berberian studio <laughs> de la post-production? Uh, exactly. Well, uh, yeah, um, so it, not that one. I mean, obviously that that film is. Was shot entirely uh, <laughs> just outside the Olympic Park in East London, in a studio. Uh, but yes, of, uh, certainly the culture of Italian filmmaking has is refreshingly um, chaotic in a way that often ours is kind of cold-bloodedly industrial. You know, it's very systematized, and and there there is room for a certain amount of creative chaos to happen when you're filming. And that is obviously familiar from Barbaria. And so, um, Massimo as a director, he's got to maintain a certain amount of outlandishness on set, but contain it as well, give it a sense of order so everyone knows what's going on. What does that set feel like? Well, for the first time, I think, he's working with... Normally, he's operating his own camera, and he's the cinematographer as well. And here, he's working with Peter Sujitsky, who's worked with David Cronenberg, who's a very, very... You know, on the face of it, it deals in a similar kind of oddness, but is a very different sort of kind of director. Uh, and I think that that juxtaposition of Peter's very studied, uh, beautiful cinematography, where these these beautifully composed images. I think Peter and Matteo are from very different areas of the of the film business, and I think like that was very interesting on set. That that tension between them, not always not always content, you know, a lot of debate about it, and a very different um, personalities. And with them um, such precision taken in the art direction and the gothic look of the settings, did it ever feel imposing to be at the centre of? What do you mean in terms of? Um, so, for instance, some of the some of the sets are quite heavy and foreboding, and being amongst that, how does that affect your performance? Well, it, it, when we were shooting uh, Castel del Monte in uh, Puglia, I couldn't believe the, the the beauty of this castle in the middle of nowhere, and you could look out, and you, the landscape was largely unchanged since the, the Middle Ages, you, you could believe yourself in that landscape. And certainly on the top of the castle, no health and safety or anything, so when Bibi's running around there and I'm trying to stop her and she's threatening to kill herself, it felt like... Uh, it, it felt kind of shockingly uh, like this was honouring a medieval world. And similarly, you know, the landscape is so familiar to us from Renaissance painting and stuff, what's going on in the background of those paintings. The agriculture seems to have not changed for hundreds of years. I mean, always, when you're working in in, um, in, in Italy, I think, I've, worked there, I've been lucky enough to work there three or four times, 
And each time the beauty of Italy is sometimes intimidating, the sheer aesthetic beauty of the world of Italy and the culture of Italy. Uh, it's fantastic to be around and to, to smell it, to see it, to taste it and touch it. But there's also a sense in which you hope that in some way you can meet it in what you're doing. Excellent. Well, you can find Toby Jones as the king of high hills amongst the beautiful Italian landscape in uh, Tale of Tales out on the 17th. Excellent. Cheers. Okay, so we're now going to talk about the um, sort of the final acts of each story and we're going to get into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen the film, which is available on Curzon Home Cinema, highly recommend you do so mm-hmm. and then come back and listen to just what we thought about the film in a bit more detail. Okay. So I think let's talk about the Queen first of all, um, yeah. which I think has the weirdest, one of the weird twists in the mm. some, uh, the Queen was the bat, <laughs> which I was like, okay. Uh, I also do think this is the most convoluted story, mm. and for me was the weaker of the three. The ending I think wraps up way too quickly. Yeah. Well, let's let's so backtrack and so. I mean, there's some great visual. I think this had the best visuals. Like, you've got the sea monster, mm. which is really beautifully designed. We mentioned Del Toro earlier, and it's a great sort of Del Toro-esque giant monster. I also love the, the, the diver's suit, like the massive tank that John C. Riley's king gets like into. Diver, that was a nice yeah. touch. I loved that. The, I want one. The, <laughs> the albino twins as well, nicely designed. And the bat creature that is Salma Hayek. was, a, again, a nice practical uh, yes. creation. It's just... The fact that she becomes this bat creature is all, was all a little bit, not confusing, just a bit a bit much and just slightly convoluted, I thought, for me. Uh, I thought that because in all of the ending of the story, the moral is always very difficult to yeah. reach. You don't, yeah. you really have to go home yeah. and really think about what the each and every story wants you to take back mm-hmm. from it. Uh, I thought this one... This one, I thought the ending, the two, the two brothers, one of them running away... Uh, yeah. And then the other one following him because he sees through a fountain yeah. of their creation that he is in trouble. So sort of the psychic link between the two of them mm. personified, well, in, kind of made into a fountain. Uh, I thought that was that was good, and it kind of stayed true to the original. Even there were kind a lot of differences, as in the queen isn't really included in this. Okay, but I thought. Salma Hayat's character, the mother, the you know the the, yeah. the the mother character needed to figure out that her violent desires towards one of these children was not going to be met with a happy ending for her mm-hmm. because she is the sole architect of her own misfortune. I think mm-hmm. that's the the kind of the moral of the story is if something hap- if something bad happens to you, you can you can under- it's you are its architect. You are the miserable being. And she is a miserable being. Yeah, I think throughout the entire story, you do feel because when John C. Riley dies, when the, her uh, king dies, yeah, she he just exits the scene, and there's no care. mourning. There's yeah. no true mourning period for her. So you can kind of see that her end is not is going to be a violent one. And yeah, yeah in that respect, it kind of makes sense that she would do this to you know she the the um. I don't know what the guy's name, the sort of the old man that is kind of gives her these. The soothsayer. The soothsayer, yeah. yeah. He tells her that sort of violence has to be solved by violence, that kind of thing. So it makes sense. It's just 
there's a lot of back and forth I thought with this one but it is the mm. visually I think it's the most interesting um, so then the flea Helen this is your favourite one team flea team flea team flea the most sort of um, Toby Jones nailed yeah. it yes yeah definitely I think he's the strongest he's one, one. of my yeah. favourite actors I'm so jealous of Jake um, <laughs> but he was so good and so compelling to watch and the flea the design of the flea was hilarious yeah that's mm-hmm. great really great design really quirky as well this story I thought that, that yeah. king that loves just this little flea and goes back and he sort of plays around with it like it's a dog or something. Yep. And on a whim, gives out his daughter. Yeah, that was yeah. quite a, a heartbreaking moment, really. That mm-hmm. He he tells her, you have to do it. And go, oh, the, the ogre. But he kind of got, he was just too happy with himself. Yeah. Because he was mm-hmm. enjoying his little game. That no one's going to yes. guess this is yeah. a flea. And yeah. he was like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And then, obviously, it ended badly. Yeah. But he, he's just a fool, really. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, mm. This one as well, I mean, the fact that... I mean, it's not shown, but it's heavily implied that the daughter is raped by the ogre and um, the violence of the ogre when the family comes save them, it just rips their heads off pretty much. I mean, yeah. this was, I think, yeah, it got quite brutal in this one uh, for a fairy tale. And it changes as well because in the original in the original tale, it's the seven sons that save the daughter and then they go back and they're bestowed riches ah, and the daughter okay. finds another prince. This one... The daughter's the hero. Yeah. When uh, when she grabs the ogre's yeah. throat and kind of goes like this in the most unceremonial of ways... Throat, yeah. I literally jumped off my seat. Like, yes! <laughs> yes, you go, girl! Yeah. You get your own! <laughs> Absolutely! And the minute I saw that kind of change in narrative yeah. and how Garon kind of changed it, I was like, that that is amazing. Any revisionist, any revisionist kind of treatment of fairy tales that came before that that is pressing, yes, we need to give women back a certain role within fairy tales, mm. comes over, comes across as so forced. This one, yeah. it came in a natu- in the most natural of ways because she uses her femininity to appease the ogre and then just, and then just cuts yeah. his throat. I was, this is fantastic. It was brilliant. There's a painting from Baroque times, mm-hmm. which uh, the, that scene reminded yeah. me of, okay. um, which is Judith beheading Holofernes. Okay, great. And um, ah. Caravaggio did one as well. And um, I can't remember the, the woman who did it, which is terrible. Her name begins with a G and the rest has escaped me. But um, hers, a popular opinion or is that hers is actually a lot better than Caravaggio's mm-hmm. because Judith just is like very forceful yeah. and like I know what I'm doing and the scene where she carries the ogre's head to her father mm-hmm. okay. really reminded me of that painting great yeah oh yeah and she brings the head I forgot about that yeah <laughs> it's, it's insane yeah um and it's do you think it's hinted that one of the um I think it's Elias is gonna marry the daughter yeah that's I think it seems yeah I'm not sure but then he it does doesn't matter so. yeah <laughs> she she's got her crown yeah, yeah. she's got a prince yeah. Yeah. a courageous knight she's got it she's good and then finally, the uh, the two old women, which I believe is originally called the the flayed woman or the, the flayed old yeah. lady, I think, or the flayed woman. Oh, yeah. this is this is insane. Um, so you got this weird the breastfeeding scene with the witch. I was like, where the hell is this going? Mm-hmm. And then uh, just the end with the um, the flayed woman was just brutal. Shirley Henderson. Yes, she along with Toby Jones, I think, yeah. Yeah. were both absolutely living. Yeah. In, in their That's roles. That's great casting as well. Yeah. Um, I think this was kind of felt like a Baroque version of um, the Robert Zemeckis film Death Becomes Her. Hey! Kind good of, link, yeah. Sort of playing around with like, unnatural youth 
uh, mm. which is always really interesting. And yeah, yeah they do with women, these women really doing anything they can to be young again, yeah. to reclaim their youth. It was, it was also the, uh, I really love the moment where I will give you one yes. finger. And she and like wraps it up and is so obsessed with it, and then it goes all red, and she gets the other sister. Yeah. They spend yeah. so much time kind yeah. of sucking it, trying to kind of get rid of all the wrinkles yeah. in that one little piece of, <laughs> of body, that and the king kind of falls completely for it. And then I thought Vincent Cassel's performance, when he yeah. actually discovers that she is an old hag in his bed, that was great, was wonderful Terrified. because again yeah. he was. You could tell that that king was so absolutely disgusted yeah. with himself. Mostly, yeah. That was a that was a slightly strange plot device where the reason she well, the Shirley Henderson character flays herself is because her sister, now younger, sort of as a kind of a joke or just an anger says, "Oh, I had my skin flayed and this new mm. one grew back," and then she actually goes out and pays a guy to skin her. And one of the the final shot of the story is her just sort of hobbling around the streets, and you see it quite clearly. Again, this is a shocking scene in a fairy tale. What you think of as a classic fairy tale. Just, yeah, a skinless Shirley Henderson. Absolutely brutal. I think it depicts very well the the downfall of being envious. Yes. Because that was a very... Uh, during during the, the original author's time, envy, actually, yeah. in the court was one of the... Like, one of the... Not one of the main sins, I would okay. say, of having at that time. Like, being envious of somebody's riches, beauty, youth. And... Garane, again, these tales are not for the 18th century. They are for today. Mm. This is yeah. the, 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 more, the messages that he brings us are as alive then, as alive today as, yeah. as they were then. And it's amazing. And you're right, a, a flayed Shirley Henderson. And then, <laughs> yeah. at, right at the very end, you also have st- uh, the, the other sister. Dora, I think her name Dora, was. Yeah. Uh, played by Stacey Martin from uh, Nymphomaniac. From Nymphomaniac, yeah. whose youth starts to get away from yeah. her as well, yeah. and she just leaves the scene completely. Yeah, again, that's a nice fairy tale twist as well that yeah. felt very um, natural, I think. Um, so we're gonna have to wrap up there. But any final thoughts? I mean, I'd just say that this is a really fun, uh, bizarre film that sort of treads the line between fantasy, horror, surrealism. Really great watch. I think it's about two hours long, but mm-hmm. absolutely flew by for me. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. Um, go, it's in, it's in cinemas. Isn't in it? cinemas yeah, on, yeah, and, on Friday and on Cousin Home Cinema. Absolutely, absolutely yeah. brilliant. And sorry if anything I said didn't make sense. I had a wisdom do that. <laughs> and earlier, I thought Sam had bought a chopping board, and it's a Prince vinyl. <laughs> We've all been there. Oh yeah. Uh, and I would leave people by saying, just don't, don't try. It's the same thing as Garon said. Don't try and understand it. Mm. Feel it, and he says. Just feel it like when you're standing in front of a painting. Follow the characters, take the journey, feel the emotion. And I absolutely agree with him. There is no rhyme or reason in fairy tales. There never no. was. You just really have to go with the flow and enjoy the visuals as much as you would go in the Tate Modern to enjoy a painting. It's the same yeah. exact thing. You cannot find reasoning in this. Or if you try, then you really have to go home, think about it. Yeah, and... go back. I think it deserves a second watch, this film as well. Oh, right? yes, definitely. I'm definitely going to go back and see it again, I think. Great, so that's uh, goodbye from me. Goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. Goodbye from Mercy. Later. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you next week.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.